On this episode of the podcast, Westover tells us about how one player can be traded five times, viewed as mediocre, yet still turn into one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. Interesting. Yeah. yeah I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, me too. The man broke a curse. What? Yeah. And kind of was a curse of his own. Well, it takes a curse to beat the a curse. So he's just a wizard. You're a wizard, Harry. Exactly. Or whoever this guy is. He's a wizard. Yeah. Yeah. But Wiz. is his name Harry? No. Well, it's not. Then it all falls apart, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> Recline that sofa <laughs> and loosen that tie, because this is mismanaged. Welcome to Mismanaged, a weekly podcast where we kick back and criticize the failings of paid sports professionals while also offering them full-proof solutions to all their management woes. I'm Austin Egan. I'm Josh Sweezy. And I'm Nathaniel Westover. Let's get into it. This week, we are discussing the MLB. Warning to any and all Baltimore Orioles fans, Astros fans, and Diamondback fans, you may want to cover your ears. Or keep trying your best to stay out at the bottom of the league. Or in Houston's case, hope the MLB commissioner doesn't find any more scandals to punish you guys for. <laughs> so much scandal. Trash can. We hate the Astros. Trash can. We do hate the Astros. All right. So, for baseball, it is a well-known fact, or is it a fable? The phrase, adage, myth, legend. History tends to repeat itself. And in sports, one of the classics is a team trading away mid-level prospects for a sure-thing kind of fix. Today, I've got the tale of how one player was traded five times in his career, including three times in his first four years in the majors, as one of those mid-level prospects all the way to being one of those sure-thing fixes. This pitcher spent his time being called a reliever with command issues, until something clicked and he became one of the best command pitchers in history. We're talking about the man with the bloody sock, Kurt Schilling. Ooh, the bloody sock. Why is his sock bloody? He had ankle surgery. He he has a procedure named after him because of this incident. He's like the Tommy Johns of the bottom half of human beings. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you know, he just had really weak ankles. <laughs> well, you know how Kobe shot free throws on a busted Achilles? Yes. He threw like six and a third innings on a busted Achilles. That's more impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Josh is rolling his <laughs> eyes right now. <laughs> We're going to start in the year 1988. The first trade is when the Boston Red Sox traded for Mike Boddicker from the Baltimore Orioles. Cool. They would send away two prospects, Brady Anderson and Kurt Schilling. Hey, that's the guy we're talking about. That would be. Anderson was an outfielder who had one season of experience in the majors, and Schilling was a reliever whose career had so far been disappointing for the Red Sox as he hadn't been able to be called up to the majors yet. He'd spent like two seasons in the minor leagues. Mm. For this trade, both teams found some success in the short and long term. Boddicker would pitch for the Red Sox for three seasons with a 39-22 record and an ERA of 3.49. Meh. It's not bad. It's not, it's it's not world-beating, but it's not bad. <laughs> 
Boddicker was brought in with his postseason experience, having won the World Series with the Orioles in 1983, while the Red Sox were still trying to break the curse. <sighs> Boddicker had pitched two complete games in those playoffs, only giving up one run, which wasn't even an earned run on his record, so his ERA was still zero. Nice. Now, when it came to playoffs in Boston, they did not get the same desired effect. In the 1988 ALCS against the Oakland A's, Boddicker would only make it two and two-thirds innings, giving up six earned runs on three homers, ending that game with an ERA of 20.25. Woof. Good. That's what he deserved. It is. Not zero. He deserved that? Yes. He was playing against the A's. Go Oakland. <laughs> Go Athletics. Go <laughs> <Those> Athletics. <laughs> Boston and Boddicker would make it to the playoffs again in 1990, again against those Oakland days. Yeah. Boddicker would make it eight innings but and giving up two earned runs while allowing a total of four runs and still getting the loss in the ALCS. But he pitched better. He did do better. Progress. He would end up retiring a few years later, not really doing much else for Boston. Good. Forced him into retirement. That's what we do as a franchise. That's Even one way. Own players. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you come anywhere in your open board, of course you retirement. <laughs> no, it's the Detroit Lions. Oh, that's so true, though. <laughs> Only the stars. Oh, yeah. No, the two best players in franchise history yeah. retired super early. Poor Detroit. On the other hand, the Baltimore Orioles were faring much better with one of the prospects they'd received from Boston. Brady Anderson would go on to thrive as an Oriole for 14 seasons with three all-star appearances, 209 home runs, and 307 stolen bases in his career. Kurt Schilling would also make his Major League debut for the Orioles September 7, 1988, but after a rough uh, ending to the 88 season and an ERA of 9.83 and no wins and four starts. So things didn't end on a great note for him. No, I yes. would say that's pretty sour. Yeah, I, I would say that he didn't make much of an impact in his you know, major league debut season. No, not really. And then in 1989, he would spend a majority of his season in the minor leagues, and the Orioles would be moving him away from the starting pitching and trying him out as a relief pitcher. So he'd be like, get shorter innings, focus on your command and your control of your pitches, or shorter stints. This worked out as his ERA would get down to a 2.45. That's much better. Yes. And then came, comes the fateful day in Orioles history, January 10th, 1991, when the GM, Roland Heenan, would decide that the team that finished near the bottom in the lead in home runs needed some more power. The Orioles and the Astros would announce a trade of several prospects of mid-level players for... Now... He was described in every single article about him as a meathead power hitter, Glenn Davis. Glenn Baby Davis? Big Baby. I, I think this is not Big Baby. Mm, you think? But I'm pretty know. sure. But I love the image of Big Baby playing baseball. When he was actually a baby. Because <laughs> for the time in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Timelines don't mesh here. But yes. Davis had hit. 20 or more home runs in five straight seasons, including winning the Silver Slugger in 86 for the Astros. In his seven seasons with Houston, Davis had 166 home runs and 518 RBIs. 
But unfortunately, his season batting average would never get above 271. He's very much a swing for the fences or for nothing kind of player. Joey Gallo. Yes, Joey Gallo or Chris Davis, Orioles. Mm. Glenn Davis's arrival in Baltimore would not start out favorably as he would suffer a neck injury in training camp. But it wasn't serious enough to stop him from playing, so he would still start the season. But then the injury would catch up to him at by the end of April. He'd be on the disabled list until the middle of August. Yeah, that's typically how injuries work. If you know they go untreated and ignored, or they typically catch up. Especially as worse. Neck yeah, yeah, right. Especially the you know. There's so much twisting in baseball. Spinal column. <laughs> 1992 would end up being a decent but not spectacular season for Davis, as he would hit uh, a at that moment a career high 276 with 13 home runs and 48 RBIs in 106 games. So, batting average a little bit better, but he did not have as much pop in his bat. And then, if you will. Yes, some panache. Some sparkle. Do you got something awesome? I'm not known to be good with words (laughs) or improvisation. He was dynamic, some would say. Yeah, see, all these adjectives are great, you know, and I'm over here thinking... Well, that's an adjective. (laughs) We don't need many more great adjectives, as 1993 would be a disaster for Davis. Through May, Davis would be hitting an abysmal 177, with one home run and nine RBIs to his scoreline. When he would get into a bar fight and get his jaw broken. Nice. Well, you know, someone had to do it. I don't think he's going to recover from that injury very quickly, either. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> nope. You need your jaw. It's part you of baseball. Need your jaw. <laughs> Just for everyday How life. How do you want to chew tobacco? <laughs> Big league chew. Big league chew. Then, after a brief stint on the AAA team, Davis's return would be delayed again when he'd be sitting in the dugout before a game and get hit in the head by a line drive foul ball. This man just attracts yeah, injury. That's just bad luck right there. Yes. Or Malicious intent. Yeah, by a higher power. (laughs) (laughs) Are you saying he was smited? Smoked? Smoked Smokenheim. Then, when he was reactivated and back on the starting lineup. Makes him sound like a robot. (laughs) (laughs) He was restarted. They rebooted him. After all these injuries and like repairing him, at this point, he is more robot than man. (laughs) Uh, He ended up getting into an argument with bench coach uh, Johnny Oates for leaving him off the lineup during a game against a left-handed pitcher, which is what he is better at hitting against. And this would lead to Davis being cut from the team and the end of his Major League career. Worth it. Now, Houston received several players. Uh, Amongst them were outfielder Steve Finley and pitchers Pete Harnish and Kurt Schilling. Finley would play for the Astros for four seasons out of his total 19 years in the Major Leagues. In Houston, Finley would hit 32 home runs with 186 RBIs and a batting average of 281. Throughout his whole career, he would hit 304 home runs and 1,167 RBIs. So Finley started to come into his own in Houston, and then he took off after he was after he left Houston. Good for him. Pete Harnish would start his Astros career strong with an all-star game appearance in his first season and carry on three solid seasons of an ERA under four uh, as a starting pitcher. 
before a dud season in 94 would kind of trash his uh, trade value, and he'd end up being traded away to the Mets for players that never would make the major leagues. Yeah, you always hate to see that. Yep. Starting to ride high and then fall off a cliff. Kurt Schillings, on the other hand, would be still used as a relief pitcher by the Astros. He would carry an ERA of 3.81 over 75 and two-thirds innings during the 1991 season, still carrying a moniker of being an average pitcher with overall command issues was an it problem for him. So that after one season with Houston, Schillings would be traded again to the Phillies in 92 for Jason Grimsley, another average pitcher with control issues. We love lateral moves. Grimsley would end up spending the 92 season on the AAA team for Houston with an ERA over 5 before <gasps> being cut outright. Okay, so that was worse. Yeah, yeah it was, was less of a lateral move. Well, it's like a stuff. lateral move, but in the move, you like knocked <laughs> one of the supports of the shelf, and uh-huh. the shelf tilted. <laughs> yeah. Shillings would be allowed to return to the starting rotation for the Phillies, which would turn out to be the right call as he would go on to pitch 226 and two-thirds innings, leading the team in wins with 14, ERA at 2.35, strikeouts with 147, and shutouts with four. Then during the Phillies' pennant run in 93, Schilling wouldn't receive a decision in the two games he pitched in the NLCS against the Braves, but he would carry an ERA of 1.69, striking out 19 batters in two games, including the first five into the second game of uh, Game 5. Wow. Good for him. And in Game... Uh, then, in the World Series, in Elimination Game 5 against the Toronto Blue Jays, Shillings would pitch a five-hit shutout to win uh, that game 2 to nothing. But Philly would end up losing in Game 6, losing the World Series. Shillings would go on to be named an All-Star for three straight years, from 97 to 99. Uh, Kurt would set the sing- the Phillies' single-season strikeout record with 319 strikeouts in 97. That's a lot. And during that stretch of three years, he'd either lead or be tied for first in wins, complete games, shutouts, and ERA amongst the starters on the team. Then, when he was became unsatisfied with the team's overall performance, uh, because the one year in 93 was their only year above 500 <laughs> in, like, the 90s, Cool. Uh, Shillings would request a trade to a more competitive team because that there was no it, promise yeah, in sight it's, it's no of success. Fun to play on a losing team, like, you gotta burn it down and rebuild. So in 2000, Shillings was traded to the Arizona Diamondbacks, who already had their ace in Randy Johnson. Big but unit. Sorry. Nope. All warranted. Forgiven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They would use Shillings to help fill out the rotation. Now, again, in this trade for Shillings, the Diamondbacks would send out Omar Dahl, Nelson Figueroa, Travis Lee, and Vincent Padilla. The most the Phillies would get out of these four players was a decent career from Padilla, who had an all-star appearance for the team, and his ERA would be at a almost the, a career low of 3.28 in the 2002 season. Everybody else was... Pretty nondescript. Bunch of scrubs. Yep. Bunch of scrubs. In 2001, Shillings would lead the majors in wins and innings pitched. Shillings would go 4 0 in the playoffs with an ERA of 1.12. Nice. Yeah. 
the 2001 World Series against the Yankees, Schelling Tudor won 1-0 with an ERA of 1.69 and 26 strikeouts in 21 innings. Schellings would share the World Series MVP with Randy Johnson. That seems appropriate to me. Yeah. Judicious. Mm, yes. The following, the next season, Kurt would go 23-7 and with an ERA of 3.23 with 316 strikeouts while only walking 33 batters in 259 and one-third innings pitched. Wow. Just wow. Just wow. wow. So in the 0-3 seasons, Schillings would go on an 8-9 record with an ERA of 2.59 in 164 innings, striking out 194. Between the 2001 and 2002 seasons, Schillings would play second in the Cy Young voting, Unfortunately, losing to his teammate, Randy Johnson, who won, like, five straight. Yeah, you Literally, if it, if it hadn't been for Randy Johnson, Shillings would have a bunch of Cy Youngs. If it hadn't been for Randy Johnson, we wouldn't know Shillings' name. Fair enough. I'm, I don't think so. No, but. too late. You said fair enough, and final answer. Continue. Then, in November of 2003, the final trade of Shillings' career... Uh, he's going home comes through when the Arizona Diamondbacks would send Kurt Schillings back home to the team that drafted him, the Boston Red Sox. He's coming home, ma. <laughs> Unlike the early trades of his career where Schillings was, the pros- was a prospect sent out for an established star, this time Schillings was the star brought in for a handful of prospects. The Diamonds would receive, Diamondbacks would receive George De La Russa, Mike Ghost, Casey Fossum, and Brandon Leon. Leon! On the Arizona side of the ledger, Goss never made the majors. Leon cobbled together a vaguely solid career, and Fossum ended up with a career ERA of 5.45. Oh, no. De La Russa would be later used as a tra- part of the trade that brought Richie Sexton to the Diamondbacks for a brief amount of time. Nice. I think. He was well, okay. With a name like Sexton. It's got to be good. It's a good jingle. <laughs> jingle? Well, put some music behind it. <laughs> Just, you know, sing it a little bit instead yeah, of saying it. Oh, Say okay. it slower and put some music behind it. It's a jingle. In Schilling's first season with the Red Sox, Schilling's would win his 20th game of the season, becoming the fifth Boston pitcher to win 20-plus games in a season, ending the regular season with a record of 21-6, and six, an ERA of 3.26, 203 strikeouts in 226 and two-thirds innings. And then comes the 2004 postseason. First, in the ALDS against the Angels, Shillings would win game one, but also suffer a torn tendon sheath when he got hit by a line drive off of his foot. The Red Sox ended up sweeping the Angels 3-0 in the ALDS before matching up against... Their rivals, the New York Yankees, in the American League Championship Boo. Series. Boo! I've heard of them. You don't care about either of these teams. Putrescence! <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Go Tigers. <laughs> there it is. Shillings would pitch game one of the series, but it was clear his ankle was hindering him, as he would give up six runs in the first three innings. That's pretty bad. It's not good. Could be better. <laughs> well, the Sox would fall into a 3-0 deficit before climbing back to force a game six, which Shillings would pitch on his injured ankle. By this time, the injury had been continuing to build up, and the doctors 
sutured the tendon in place in an unprecedented procedure that would end up becoming known as the shilling tendon procedure because they just kind of stapled his leg together Gross. so that his tendons could not get in the way of his pitching uh, rotation. Yes. Is this Kurt Schilling uh, tendon procedure, is it still used, though? I don't know. They did it once, named it after him, and then real doctors showed up and said, never <laughs> no, do no, this don't again. Do this. <laughs> so you can still get it in the dark alley, I know, if you uh, need that <laughs> You got some staples. Right, you know Tommy John. We did that, and that worked out good. Yeah. <laughs> As game six would continue on, blood could be seen soaking his white sock. Shillings would pitch seven innings, allowing only one run off of a home run. And then came game seven of the series. The Boston team would watch the uh, movie Miracle. Nice. Uh, in the uh, clubhouse before the game to kind of like... Didn't it come out like that out? year? I think so. Yeah. I think it was like 04. Nice. Uh, which... Ended up working because Boston won the game ten to three with Ortiz, David Ortiz, winning series MVP. Are we really going to attribute it? Yeah, to the movie miracle. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. You guys. It worked, you guys. <laughs> and then they kept watching that movie every, every time. Game, they never lost again. The end. <laughs> A riot funny. ended up breaking out near Fenway Park in celebration of over victory over sure. the Yankees. Then, as the Red Sox enter the World Series against the St. Louis Cardinals, Schillings would undergo the, te- the stabilization technique again, and he had four stitches in his ankle the day before Game 2, the game he was supposed to pitch, and wasn't sure he'd be able to. Mm-hmm. He ended up having, like, one stitch removed, received a bunch of antibiotics, and then pitched six shutout innings, uh, which gave him a total of 13 innings pitched on a torn tendon and only one run allowed. What mm. a titan man couldn't feel a thing it was perfect the red sox would go on and sweep the cardinals in four so they did not lose a game after watching miracle sure well okay so it worked (laughs) and it ended the curse of the gambino (gasps) and brought an 86 year drought bambino gambino bambino i have no idea bam gam wham thank Thank you you, (laughs) ma'am and an 86 year drought of no World Series. The next season would prove to be very difficult for Schilling as he spent the first part of the season on DL because torn tendon in his ankle. Still recovering. Clearly it was fine. Clearly just keep stapling it. <laughs> Stay, we'll run out of staples. Say <laughs> where I put you. <laughs> He'd return uh, as the team's closer in July before rejoining the starting rotation, but he would struggle ending the season with an ERA of 5.69. 2006, Schillings would claim he was back to full health. This was also the season he turned 39. He's been here for a while now. Old man. He'd go 15-7 and with 198 strikeouts and an ERA of 3.97. Schillings would earn his 200th career win that season and his 3,000th strikeout. Shillings has the highest ratio of strikeouts to walks of any pitcher with at least 3,000 strikeouts and is one of four pitchers to reach 3,000 strikeouts before recording his 1,000th career walk. Cool. And going into the 2007 season, Shillings announced on a radio show he decided that he wasn't going to retire after the 07 season, which was the last year of his contract. Boston executives were like, no, 
We're gonna we won't negotiate an extension until after the season, citing his age, forty, and physical conditioning. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know Shillings. What? I actually, I actually respect that. What yeah. If he shows no, up with sense. his own box of staples. Well, they said they would wait to negotiate. Still, <laughs> Shillings retaliated by saying he'd become a free agent for the first time in his career and refused to negotiate with the Sox after the World Series when a team has there's a window when teams have exclusive rights mm-hmm. before they become free agents. 2007 would become the clo- would be the season Shillings got the closest he would get to a career no hitter. Which he got one out away. Oh, that sucks. Before the Oakland days ruined it. Hey, <laughs> Oakland haunting. Careers. Can't keep us down. After that almost no hitter, he had two terrible starts and then was put on the DL with a shoulder injury. Entering 2000, the 07 postseason, he would still continue his postseason success with seven shutout innings in his game during uh, the ALDS against the Angels. Then a rough start in the ALCS against the Cleveland soon-to-be Guardians. He would become the second pitcher at 40 or above to start and win a World Series game as the Red Sox would sweep the Rockies. Hooray! Woot! Schillings entered free agency, but finding that nobody wanted to sign a 40-year-old pitcher with ankle and shoulder problems, sure. he re-signed a one-year deal with the Boston Red Sox for the 2008 season. Unfortunately, an inj- a shoulder injury would prevent him from playing at all. Uh, the injury first showed up in February of 08, and how the injury would be treated was a point of contention between Shillings and management. Management would push for rehab, which seemed to be working, until in June, Shillings uh, had to be reevaluated due to pain reoccurring in his shoulder from pitching on the mound. Mm. A few days later, he announced he would go to surgery. Cool. Which the bicep surgery also discovered a tear in his rotator cuff and a separation of his labrum was repaired as well. Cool. So they just went in there and were like, hey, so here's a lot of things that are <laughs> they, not this dude, great. This they, dude had to be waking up hurting yeah. every morning. Oh, absolutely. And just being like, this is 40. <laughs> this <laughs> must doc- be 40. These doctors just opened him up and they're like, oh, oh my. Oh, no. Oh, oh, my. oh, oh why are there oh, so many God. staples in here? <laughs> what? Is this a yo-yo? <laughs> Loosely tied around your spine? Is that a rubber band on your elbow? <laughs> on March 23rd, 2009, Shillings announced his retirement from professional ball after 20 seasons. He ended his career with a record of 216 and 146, an ERA of 3.46, 3,116 strikeouts. He was inducted into the Red Sox Hall of Fame in 2012, and in 2013, he was inducted to the Phillies Wall of Fame as well. Shillings has not been voted into the Hall of Fame. The closest he got was this last year in the 2021 voting, where he received 71.1% of votes, just under the 75% requirement. This was his ninth appearance on the ballot where a player may appear a maximum of 10 times. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Getting close. Shillings has asked for his name to be removed from the 22 ballot to defer to the Veterans Committee to judge his career instead. But both the Baseball Writers of America Association and the Hall of Fame ignored his request and will be leaving his name on the ballot in 22. Probably because he's had a whole lot of 
off the field controversial issues. Yeah, no, he has some really like when I was looking up a quote for this episode, uh-huh. he has some messed up stuff. He has some that. hot takes. He got he dove into some politics. Hooray. Yeah, it's he, probably why he doesn't want his name on the ballot. He's like, let the veterans committee decide, please. Also, he views himself as more of a gamer than a baseball player. Yeah, he started an internet comp- like a, a video games company. Yeah. Not Alrighty successful. Then. Like, one of the things that popped up is he had this tweet comparing the percentage of uh, uh, Muslims that were extremists to the percentage of Germans that were Nazis in cool. the 40s. Cool. So right then and there, you know, yeah. it's like, all right. Yeah. Alrighty then. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're taking away your Twitter privileges. <laughs> no, we're, we're going to burn everything down. Yeah. Yeah. He's said a lot of bad things. Mm-hmm. Well, not great things. I would go ahead and yeah. say bad. No, 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 they've been bad. You don't have to be apologetic. That's bad. <laughs> this He's is a one, dummy. This is when West ever decides to apologize. Not before. Nah. See, here's the thing. is like, uh, And I feel like the NFL Hall of Fame has this. They have like sections for moments. Mm-hmm. that Because like, the bloody sock game, that's incredibly iconic. One of his socks is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, see? So the man doesn't need to be. The He's moment is. Sock. Nice. What can I say? It was sitting there. We got around to it. I had that thought, like, uh-huh. probably 15 seconds after that was over, and I'm like, ah, it's fine. We'll, we'll circle back. Yeah, we'll circle we got back. There. We got there. During his career, Schilling started as a prospect with potential, involved in trades for other teams to receive star players that wouldn't pan out. Then he became the star the teams would trade for and receive prospects with potential where they prospects wouldn't pan out. Moral of the story, don't trade Kurt Schilling's. I would trade him now. <laughs> I wouldn't have him on the team now. <laughs> if I did have him a treat on a team and someone wanted him, I would trade him. Yes. yes. Agreed. So, I learned nothing today. <laughs> oh, dang it. Now that we present one of the worst moves, or in this case, a series of bad the moves. travel. All pertaining to the same player. Five. The five-finger death punch of Kurt, <laughs> of Kurt Schilling's. Schilling's. Uh, we will be presenting our own proposals to those GMs we believe need a little amateur help making their professional decisions. Josh, please bless us with your voice. No. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, my dear GM this week goes out to Miami Marlins owner Bruce Sherman. Bruce. Bruce, buddy. Your Marlins are in dire straits, both on and off the field. You are currently at the bottom of your division in the NL East, with a record of 47 and 67. But that's excusable. Every team can have a bad year every so often. I'll allow it. (laughs) I'll allow it. The real concern for your franchise should be your abysmal attendance records. Yeah. Obviously, there were no fans in the stands for 2020, so we'll just jump back to 2019 for reference. That year, your team was actually worse, with a record of 57 and 105. And again, finished at the bottom of your division. Your games averaged about 10,016 fans. To put that in perspective, the second worst team in your conference that year, the Pittsburgh Pirates, had an average attendance of 18,413. That's almost double your average. Yikes. We have a beautiful statement, though. <laughs> All right, Pittsburgh. If you want to look at it from the perspective of the whole year, your yearly attendance was uh, 811,302. Now compare that to the NL average of 2,526,804. Oh or even the Pirates' pretty bad 1,491,439. Stop. 
those terrible. are telling. <laughs> yeah, you have no fans. No. <laughs> the numbers are telling, and there is little love for the Marlins in Miami. I think you should sell the team or move them to a new city yourself. There are plenty of viable candidates out there for baseball franchises. Just a few off the top of my head are Las Vegas, Portland, or even Buffalo. Think it over, because you can't possibly continue like this. No, and you can't take it with you. Portland! I like Portland. That's my Portland's vibe. good. Las Vegas is good. I mean, as long as we're putting all this uh, like football team in there... Yep. We should put baseball in. Might as well. Yeah. They have a WNBA team. They have a hockey team that they're passionate about. Yeah, like, they just get them all the sports. Yep. Yeah. Baseball's the only one missing. Yep. Yeah. Fair enough. This week, I'm addressing the GM of the Philadelphia Phillies, Joe Girardi. Joe, you're doing it. In July... <laughs> you did You it. did it! The world's best cup of coffee. <laughs> You're doing it. In July, you guys were just above 500 and several games behind the Mets. And then suddenly you guys just couldn't lose. It helps that you're in a division with the Marlins. It does. It does. Bryce Harper's playing as if he wants another MVP award. And Zach Wheeler's playing up to Cy Young considerations after you guys threw so much money at him. The only major issue is that your starting first baseman, Hoskins, is injured on the 10-day DL. You guys have been playing lights out with one of your star hitters, so make sure you don't rush him back from injury, and you can see yourselves contending deep into the playoffs this year. Unfortunately, the Dodgers burned it all for a stupid team this year. Yeah, their yeah. team is gross. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, good luck to all of you, because woof. Should have just chosen to be bad like the Tigers. Ha ha! dummies. This week, I'm addressing GM of the Cleveland Guardians, Woo! Mike Chernoff. Or Chernoff. I don't care, Mike. Chernobyl. It's not going to be good for you. Because, Mike, the Guardians, that's a bad mascot. Yeah, the logo, <laughs> I don't like. Yeah, it's gross. It's real bad. Ignoring the fact that there's already a professional sports team using that moniker in Cleveland, a roller derby team that is suing them. Yep. Awesome. Yep. They also basically stole the font. They edited it a little bit. Oh, it's gross. And the other one has wings as well. So, like, because Guardians, no direct affiliation to wings, <laughs> but they're both using it. It makes no sense. It's a niche reference to a small city feature that not even all of your citizens are aware <laughs> of its pertinence. There's, like, a series of statues. Yeah, yeah. And I saw one of the videos talking about the statues. I was like, oh, that's neat. No, don't. But. Don't bless it okay. with even neatness. You have so many options. You can be so creative. Yeah, you so can many be options. the Burning Rivers. And yes. Oh, here we're going to talk about it. Second thing, Mike. As they said, you had so many options. <laughs> Primarily, you could have saved face, made amends, and gotten a great name. Here's what you should have done. One, you should have approached one of the many Native American tribes in Ohio... Apologize for any offense you've caused and inform them you never met any disrespect. Two, you ask the tribe's permission to use their name for your team to honor their culture, heritage, and influence. Yes. Three, you partner with them and offer them compensation for using their likeness. There is already precedent for this, most notably the Florida State Seminoles, who have shared a strong supportive relationship with the Seminole tribe in Florida since 2005. Yep. Like... Openly public, declarated partnership, like that's the why it's okay way to do it. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. why it's okay. 
and they have a great fan base and a great relationship. You had an opportunity to maintain <sighs> your franchise's rich history. Like, Cle- the Cleveland Indians are a historically rich team and mm-hmm. been around forever, and their fans love baseball there. And you could have kept that, while acknowledging and reconciling past mistakes and looking forward to a better, brighter future. Instead, you decided to run as far away from the problem as possible and chose a terrible mascot. Washington football team, please take notes. Yes, please. Like, honestly. Come on, it's guys. Not that it's not difficult. that hard. Just figure it out. I know. Ugh, it's so frustrating. Hmm. But anyway, that's the pod. <laughs> if you enjoyed this or any of our other episodes, please remember to give us a like or a follow. Maybe even leave a review. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you may listen to your podcasts. In the words of former catcher and hitting coach, I did not write this man's name. That was his full Christian name. I did not write his name. Catcher hitting coach. (laughs) You can look up the quote. He was a tiger. Back in the 60s and 50s and stuff. Beautiful. Quote, there are two theories on hitting the knuckleball. Unfortunately, neither one of them works. No. Unquote. Thanks for listening, and remember... This was mismanaged. Bye-bye.